There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. My guest for this episode is none other than Mr. Abe Gibson. He is the uh, co-founder of Insure Your SaaS. That is a startup digital agency uh, that is focused on a very specific uh, group of lines of business, very specific solutions uh, for a specific profile of insured. This is a very interesting venture. The episode here uh, is the world premiere of any podcast interview that Abe or anybody, and it's, did I get the name right? Cover your SAS or is it cover my SAS? What is it? Yeah, cover your SAS. Cover your SAS. I love it. A little bit of a play on words there for sure. It's uh, it's clever. Um, man, Abe, thanks for being here on uh, AFP. I really appreciate you giving us the privilege of premiering you to the podcasting world in our industry. Uh, welcome. Absolutely, man. I'm super excited to be here and really uh, thankful for this podcast specifically getting launched earlier this year. I got to listen to a lot of the episodes and learn a lot from it. So really excited to be a guest on it. Yeah, man. It's been a long time coming for sure. When we got started uh, a little more than a year, almost a year and a half ago now, geez, you know, one of the things we said was every Friday is a new episode and by George, we've kept it up. There are no repeats. There are no throwbacks. Every single Friday is brand new content on AFP. Uh, you've had quite the journey yourself in the last year and a half, my man. Uh, you uh, were formerly a, a team member at Better Agency and did a, a lot of different stuff for them. Uh, you're familiar with a startup tech company. Uh, you're familiar, obviously, uh, with the property casualty insurance industry. So I guess it's a natural progression for you and Derek uh, to be the, the sales arm of this new digital agency. We'll get into uh, some some details about who your partners are and some people that are behind the scenes uh, that aren't necessarily writing policies and serving clients, but they are definitely involved uh, in the nuts and bolts of Cover Your SaaS. Before we get to that, though, I- I'd love to hear from you on how exactly this came about. Uh, why don't you tell the the story of Cover Your SaaS? We'll circle back with the Abe Gibson story uh, in in a couple of minutes, but I'd love to hear about Cover Your SaaS. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, last year, 
2021. I'm, I'm finishing up college. I'm doing uh, myself a better agency, working in sales. And as one of my capstone projects for my degree, I have to, because of my major in, in business entrepreneurship, I have to create a pretty detailed business plan. And at that time, I'd been in the uh, IA space for about a year and thought, naturally, I'm just going to create an agency business plan uh, as the capstone because that's what I'm most familiar with. And so I create the business plan. And honestly, once I submitted it, I said, I don't really know what's stopping me from giving this a shot. I've always had an entrepreneurial niche or uh, a niche, and I really wanted to uh, kind of scratch that itch to be honest and um mm-hmm. so i decided to you don't have to execute. sell me on the idea of scratching an itch man i i feel you 100 percent there yeah you know the drive to go to market and you know put your name on something is is intense yep so i i decided just to really it was not going to be as focused as what it ended up being it was really just going to be a small commercial focus agency kind of in my local area and it really started to evolve you know, being around Nick airs a lot at Better Agency, you start to learn, you know, the importance of having a niche. And so I kind of just had this epiphany that, well, I've sold software to insurance agencies. Why not sell insurance to software companies? And it was something that I was familiar with. I know how to speak the SaaS language, just like insurance, they have their own language with all these different acronyms. So I can speak mm-hmm. the language there's not a lot of competition. There's not a lot of people in the space. So I thought if there's any niche to give it a shot, this is going to be it. And so from there, it just started, the the snowball started rolling down the hill and started picking up partners and ideas. And this is where we're at today. Man, you can take a look at who was, who has been a guest on this podcast in 70 something episodes and you can tell very quickly, I'm perfectly comfortable talking about this stuff. You know, cyber and tech ENO and DNO and all, like all of these specialty lines, as you call them. Uh, there are so many of our peers that just flat out miss the mark, where they ignore this stuff entirely. They're not even talking about it. Uh, they have really nothing going on. Uh, with these lines of business in their agency, and even for the clients that they have, they're not cross-selling these lines. We picked up an account uh, just a month or two ago because of DNO. The agent mm-hmm. didn't do anything wrong. They were a good agent, but they missed DNO on an account that needs DNO. And we picked it up because of that, because they didn't round the bases the right way. And everything Cover Your SaaS does is rounding the bases. You guys don't even offer the primary lines. Everything you do is account rounding. The entire conversation is account rounding. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about that philosophically. That That is a very interesting thing because, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're not going out there for uh, the BOP, the property, the commercial auto and whatnot. Like you're not even really talking about that. You're handling all the specialty lines. And now, are you going to backdoor your way into the primary lines or is that even a conversation? Yeah. So we're leading with cyber because we, we believe that for most tech companies, that's probably their largest exposure. Uh, yep. we, we, we try to view cyber similar to uh, like a, 
traditionally, like in the uh, killing commercial David Crowther space, you have you know a lot of people that are selling on the mod. So what we do is we sell on the cyber risk report, and we're leading mm-hmm. with the cyber risk report. We're really primarily just talking about cyber, and when we have that conversation from a risk management perspective, we're not really talking much about insurance. We're building enough trust because we're leading with that cyber risk report and that consultative risk management approach that we can just present to them a complete package that includes all the lines of business that they need. And we're not really having to get into details on, on different coverages on the ins and outs of the insurance products because we're building so much trust on the front end. So yes, we do, we do write the bops. We do write the work comps um, and all the lines of business that they need, but we, we talk way more about risk management than we do insurance throughout that conversation. Fantastic. The marketing stuff that I have seen about cover your SAS and I I've read every word that I've seen. Um, None of it has mentioned any of the primary lines. So I was curious about that. Honestly, it's like, mm-hmm. are they even doing the primary lines or are they going to be entirely specialty? So uh, I'm glad to hear you're going to backdoor your way into the primary lines. Uh, but the focus in your marketing is pretty impressive because there's not a single word about anything other than specialty lines. So uh, it's obvious that you guys really are just laser focused with your message. Uh, and the mission of what Cover Your SaaS is trying to be. that That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, we see a lot. So like a lot of the insurance programs that I'll see, uh, that really the majority of the premium volume comes from specialty lines. So you'll have like a company that has you know, their cyber, their tech, you know, their DNO, all these specialty lines. Maybe it's a $50,000 account in premium. Maybe 40000 of that comes from specialty lines and, the other 10 comes from their BOP and their work comp and anything else. So a lot of the, a lot of the premium that they're paying is in specialty lines. So that's just what we focus on, but we probably should mention that on the website. Uh, if, if you weren't able to, to get that, they, other people probably aren't either. You know, even if it's something just as a little bit like a, a blip of, and, oh, by the way, we are full service and we can help with all your other stuff too, but it's an afterthought and we don't focus on it. We focus on this stuff over here, you know, something like yeah. that. I, I don't know. I, I didn't mean to take shots at you guys. That wasn't the point at all. It it was re- purely out of curiosity because, I mean, <laughs> maybe I missed it, but when I was looking on the website, was, there is literally not a word of standard lines anywhere on the website. And uh, that, that it makes a lot of sense the direction that you guys are coming at. So... Um, yeah. To circle back here for just a second, um, you've got some really big names behind you, man. Uh, talk to me about the, the people that you cho- choose to, to partner with here and what they're all mm-hmm. bringing to the table. Yeah, absolutely. So we, earlier this year, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to get all the pieces in place. We're trying to find market access. We're trying to build the technology stack. Really, uh, I feel blessed to have the background that I do. I kind of knew the big players and who I need to talk to, but it was still extremely challenging. So I empathize a lot with people that are starting scratch agencies because it's very confusing and very cumbersome. So we, we were able to get the market access that we need, but I, I honestly, I got licensed to, to sell property and casualty insurance 
in March of this year. So in March, I'm taking my pre-licensure course. And I, I have obviously that entrepreneurial spirit and I know how to sell in a B2B setting, but I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a risk manager. I, I don't know a ton about insurance. And so I needed, I needed, uh, in addition to the sales and marketing, I needed people on the team that had experience to be able to help us to not first and foremost, not get ourselves in trouble. I wanted an extra pair of eyes looking at things that we're doing. And then in addition to that, uh, just long-term, you know, maybe me and Derek on our own can get to X, but if I bring on these partners, then we'll be able to get to five X. So we reached out to David and kind of the story, how it started. I was talking to Derek. I said, I think I'm going to ask David Carruthers, if he wants to come on as an advisor and we'll give him uh, equity and he can come on as an advisor and just really just be a part of the team. And so we're at the the better conference in, in Phoenix and I, I see David and he's a lot bigger in person than I uh, anticipated. You don't realize and how tall he is. He's, he's tall. Yeah. He's really tall. He's a, he's a big dude. Yeah, and yeah, it's it kind of takes people aback because I mean you, you can see him sitting in his chair, and you have a, an idea, but he's an imposing presence. Like I'm six six, I'm about three inches taller than him, uh, but I mean, dude is stout. He could play linebacker if he wanted to yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, so so I see him, and then of course he has like this very commanding presence in a room. Everybody's like gravitating towards him. Oh yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm this 23 year old kid, and I am I'm literally shaking walking up to him, and I just walk up to him. I'm like, Mr. Carruthers, I'm gonna send you a video, a Loom video on LinkedIn. Just let me know what you think. And so he's like, Oh yeah, I'll take a look at it. And so I send him a Loom video. I made a a presentation on what we're doing and how we think you'd be valuable to the team. And he's like sending me like 17 different messages while he's watching it, like commentating. And I, I messaged Derek. Yeah. I messaged Derek. And I'm like, I think he's going to do it. And, and he said, yeah, I'm all in. So he, he joins the team. And then before you know it, he, he brings on uh, Chris Langill and Ciara. And uh, we add them to the team as well. And really what they have been doing and like what I've told you, David, Ciara, Chris, they're really the brains. And Derek and I, we just kind of do. So they don't – obviously, they have their business. Like David has a million things. Ciara has her agency and all this stuff that she does. Chris has Advisor Evolved. So they really come up you know, with the ideas, the branding, uh, what where we should be spending our time. And then Derek and I really just go and do. So uh, the – the difference between before them and after them is, uh, is, is kind of funny. It's comical. Um, they've really helped us prioritize where we're spending our time. I got to say, man, that you'd be hard-pressed to do better for a, a cadre of advisors. Um, you're very intelligent bringing those three. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe David brought, you know, Ciara and, and Chris to the table, but the skill set of the those three are very different from each other, mm-hmm. um, but they together. I mean, whew, we should all be so fortunate. You're hard pressed to e- even try to fail, even if you wanted to. 
uh, with those yeah. three behind you because failure is much more difficult when you have advisors uh, and mentors like that for sure. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sitting here. I was looking. I was. I was looking here on uh, on LinkedIn as you were talking, pulling up Ciara's uh, profile because I was going to count the number of professional designations that she's completed. <laughs> And I was right. She does, in fact, have more letters after her name than letters in her name. Yeah. Uh, so that lady is, I mean, second generation insurance. Uh, she knows it better than most, for sure. Uh, and, you know, David is, is very uh, visible on this podcast. We haven't had Langel in yet. Uh, he and I are working on a couple of things uh, for Agency Freedom's website. Uh, Going to do a little bit of a, a mutual back scratching. Uh, there he is, you know, I'm going to have him on purely for promotional reasons, not that he needs it at all. Advisor Evolved is incredibly uh, successful and has literally hundreds of agencies' uh, websites up. Uh, between yeah. Advisor Evolved and Forge 3, they basically have, I don't know what market share is, but I got to say between those two companies, they have the overwhelming majority of every independent, uh, you know, agency website in the country. Uh, there's... So, so, so many of them. Uh, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't do anything with a provider and just try to make it up themselves as they go along. Uh, use something like Insurance Splash, which I had back when I was a farmer's agent, back when I was breaking the rules and had my own website. Um, yeah, that's long since passed, so good luck coming after me, you guys. Uh, really nothing you can do there. <laughs> there, I confessed it. I had my own website apart from the farmer's one. Am I supposed to go nana nana boo boo right now? I'm not really sure, um, but uh, that that was my approach. But I didn't know any better back then. I think once, like your website, of course, is provided by uh, Advisor Evolved, uh, the Cover Your SaaS website. Um, and what is that website, by the way, in case anybody wants to check it out while we're doing this? Yeah, it's Cover Your SaaS. And SAS is S A A S. S A A S. Yeah. Dot Cover your SAS.com. Dot I O. Oh, wow. yeah. there you go. In somebody beat you the, to the dot com, huh? Yeah, somebody beat us to dot com. And it, but dot IO is, I don't know, kind of fits. Oh, yeah, with it's totally the, in the line. Niche that we're in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can see why you did that for sure. I, I love this site, man. This has Chris Langell written all over it. I mean, from even from the little slide up. Uh, motion graphics, the way that he operates, it, it, this is great for sure. So the the, the look and feel is here. Uh, you got the the coverage chops, the risk management chops between uh, Ciara and David. Uh, then you know you and Derek Burke, your co-founder, are just going to market and making stuff happen, huh? Is that the story? Yeah. So right now we're uh, just going to market. It's it's been a lot more challenging than I anticipated. We had some early wins. So we we kind of did like a pre-go to market and kind of just made some announcements on uh, LinkedIn and had some people reach out to us to uh, kind of start the conversation. And we got, I don't know if we got, I got a little bit cocky and thought, well, this is going to be easy. Like we're, we're not even doing anything and we're already having people reach out to us. And then of course, you realize that there are different different companies with different risks that mm -hmm. are a little bit more prompt to reach out. <laughs> like this one in particular was like a payment processor, which is uh -huh. a very difficult risk to place. 
So <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> oh yeah. You so you stepped from the kiddie pool straight to the deep end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he reaches out from a guy I'm, who I'm got thinking, his license yeah. less than a year ago. Yeah. This well, this was in oh. this was in May. So I got licensed oh in March. So the ink isn't even process. drying your license yet, and you're trying to set up a, a cyber and tech E&O play for a payment processing company? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. So I got, I got really excited. I thought they're just going to start coming. The floodgates are going to open, and then you realize that's not how it works, and it's actually incredibly difficult to win business. So yeah. we've been in the trenches for the last couple months, really starting to see some momentum. And one thing that I'm really uh, glad to be on this podcast for is we're going to start uh, our own podcast and interview SaaS founders, CEOs. So this is some good practice for me to uh, yeah, get more comfortable on the mic. You know, it is, it's a really good example of what not to do, like being on your phone while you're interviewing someone and like visibly on your phone looking up someone else's LinkedIn <laughs> profile. Don't do that. That's rude. I, I'm unintentionally rude. Uh, so yeah, if you want to see lots of things of bad behavior of podcast host, uh, yeah, just look at what I do and try not to do that. So um, it, well, your it voice is, makes up for it. Your voice makes up for it. You it's know, for at podcasts. first it was... It was awkward and weird because I didn't really know how to take that because I mean, last time I checked, I can't take credit for the voice that God gave me. I didn't make myself. <laughs> I, I kind of, you know, it's like when someone says, oh, you have pretty eyes. It's like, thanks. Um, they've always been here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't really know how to, how to respond to that. But, you know, over the course of more than a year of doing this, and I got to say, like, this is so weird to be saying this because there's a large audience that hears me say it talking to somebody else about hosting a podcast but you learn little things like how to speak from your chest instead of from the back of your throat like mm -hmm. i'm not slouching in my chair but i'm also not like over the top with resonance like if i wanted to i could make it sound a lot more resonant and people are like why is he talking like that it's like <laughs> you sound like some weird announcer for a cartoon it's like there's there's certainly a level of professionalism and you know trying to make the quality of your voice sound as good as possible without it being weird and mm -hmm. like produced almost like we don't do any EQs at all we don't mess with the sound we try to make it as as natural and real sounding as possible so uh, whatever you do with your voice like as long as and this is where I I, uh, I have to take my hat off and try to remember that I'm not a, a public speaking uh, professor anymore because I was before insurance. I taught public speaking and oh, crisis really? management at at, uh, at Stephen F. I, I was a, an adjunct faculty member for a year uh, when I was trying to figure out what the heck I was doing. <laughs> but man, all, all that to say, uh, when you launch your podcast, you'll find your own voice. Uh, and whatever it is, I mean, sit up straight in your chair and just think about the words that you're saying the biggest thing I find is the the verbal clutter. And you and I both listen to a lot of podcasts. You want we we both have lots of friends and peers in the industry uh, who have great podcasts. And one thing that I've found that's pretty consistent is they pay attention to verbal clutter, the uhs and ums and you know awkward things that don't add anything to the message. 
uh, you know, regardless of who it is, I could list off a dozen insurance podcasts. Virtually all of them have learned to clean up the verbal clutter. So, and I think that goes with, you know, anybody who is listening to this who presents anything for a living to an insured, to a partner, uh, to an audience of some sort, you know, eliminating that verbal clutter, it goes a long way towards adding credibility. Like when, when you are in front of a prospect, that's huge. So I, I'm excited to hear that you're going to have your own podcast. I, I, I think that is a, an absolutely genius prospecting strategy. I mean, every single one of your prospects enjoys talking about their business. Everybody who launches a business wants to talk about it. They're excited. Uh, and then you can, you know, backdoor your way into conversation. Thank you. I just want to say, at some point in your career, you realize that you build something special and then you hire people and they just bring you coffee. <laughs> That's so, impressive. I, I never want to take the coffee for granted. And I'm going to hear about it later when Addy's like, don't make fun of me. I was nice to you and brought you coffee while you were recording. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I got to say, I, I feel special when people bring me coffee. It's nice. I know. I'm, I hope I can be at that point in a few years here. <laughs> it's one of my goals. No, dude, I, <laughs> when you have $50,000 a month in payroll, yeah, it's somewhere in there somebody should just bring you coffee. If you, you know, <laughs> When you're building an agency and you have payroll like that, you know, yeah. have somebody's role and responsibility be bring Abe coffee. Yeah. So once that, a day. I'll probably add that to Derek's list of responsibilities. There you go. You know, I, uh, I see your face on the top of the website. I don't see Derek's. I don't know how you got that past him. Uh, I don't know what, <laughs> what sort of give back you incentivized yeah. him to, to do that with. But, uh, man, more power to you there. Yeah, no, all, I have to confess, the last few minutes, the last few minutes really, um, we haven't been on topic. So I, I probably need to, to roll it back. This is what happens when I record with people that I'm actual friends with. We're like, I would enjoy your company, even if we were doing nothing other than just grabbing a bite to eat and hanging out. So yeah. for our listeners who are like, for God's sake, would you get to some content? Like you guys are just <laughs> hanging out and you have mics in your face. And James is literally drinking coffee into a microphone. I'm not sorry. It's delicious coffee. I don't know who Pumpkin cold brew. This. But uh, yeah, in case you're wondering, it's pumpkin cold brew from Starbucks. Um, so so cover your sass, your go-to-market play. What is the hardest part of getting this thing from zero to one? Because uh, I feel like from zero to one is the hardest part. Like figuring out the steps to start building momentum. I mean, don't get me wrong. Go-to-market is hard by itself. There's no way that go-to-market isn't hard. But I feel like that zero to one, the first phase of go-to-market, man, there's, there's nothing harder than that. What's your experience been like in that? Yeah, it was extremely hard. So it's hard, it's hard because you feel like, especially with us being so niched down, how many opportunities are we going to get? And you feel like the value of each opportunity is more valuable than if we were more of a generalist agency because there's maybe only 5,000 SaaS companies in the entire U.S. So if we talk to one and we ruin that first impression, you know, are we going to lose it forever? So you can really get in your head 
about trying to be perfect throughout the entire process. But for us, the, the biggest, the biggest issue that we were facing was probably more expectations with the prospects. So we wanted to play in the space of SaaS companies that were, you know, maybe they, maybe they had to, to get insurance for uh, one of their funding rounds or they just felt like they needed to have insurance like they should. So they went to Embroker, one of the kind of D2C players in the space, and they just kind of DIY'd their insurance. And so those people that got insurance with, let's just use Embroker for an example, have expectations of you can get me a quote for all these different lines in 15 minutes where even with the best technology available to us to, to write a, a full program, it's going to probably take a couple of weeks. So setting the expectation with them of you're kind of graduating from DIYing this yourself and probably not really taking it that seriously to you're working with uh, a full service risk management insurance firm. Setting that expectation was key. And at the beginning, we had the conversation and it was all about insurance. And when we were just talking about insurance, it quickly, like the conversations, people would ghost us, just it wasn't working. So when we started to lead with the cyber risk report and prospecting with that, it completely changed the conversation to people understanding, okay, what they're doing, it might not be as quick, but what they're doing, the the level of quality and care and expertise. I'll put that in parentheses. Expertise uh, is is worth the, the amount of time. So we're we're getting a lot more people that are uh, midterm, a lot more people that aren't just shopping at renewal. And with when you have those conversations, it's it's completely different. Th- those people are already kind of bought into what you're doing. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L dot com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, requiring, recreating, trying to find processes. Just there's so much stuff. I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel cast certified. I got to say, man, I absolutely love attacking an account outside of the renewal cycle. It's like sneaking into your enemy's house while he's asleep in his bedroom. You, you know, pick the lock on the front door. 
You go into your enemy's kitchen, you open their refrigerator, and make them make yourself a ham and cheese sandwich out of their refrigerator. Yeah. They have no idea you're there. They have no idea that you're in the account, that you're talking to their people, that you're delivering a cyber risk profile. Their defenses haven't been alerted at all. And by the time they get the the email from the carrier that says so-and-so requested loss runs, sorry, bud. You already lost your account, and you didn't even know you had competition. Yep. It's brilliant. That strategy, it, it almost feels like cheating the system because it's so much easier than the typical, hey, let me get you a quote. Because, my gosh, you're so immediately replaceable if you're leading with, let me take a look at your stuff. Okay, no. No, I'm good. Thanks. Go away. But when you lead with value, like a cyber uh, risk assessment, especially, you know, 800-pound gorilla in the room, I have to acknowledge it at least, uh, Pro Writers does an absolutely fantastic job. They are one of the main players that you guys are going up against. Uh, one of their main prospecting tools is uh, they help retail agents with exactly what you're talking about. So as you guys figure out your play, I, I have to ask just from a distribution uh, question here, are you looking to set yourselves up as another option in the space for other retail agents to operate through where they would bring you guys opportunities and then you go to market on behalf of retail agents? Or are you more interested in staying in your lane and being just specifically, we are a retail agent, we are not going to be an MGA or a wholesaler, uh, where you maintain direct contact with the insured the entire time. Where are you guys at philosophically? How do you think that's going to play? Yeah, I think that as attractive as the wholesale distribution model sounds, uh, for us and really the goals that I have for the agency outside of the insurance itself and the, the insurance agency, but there's other things that I want to accomplish with a retail agency that I would be limited in the MGA or wholesale route. So for mm -hmm. us, we just want to stay a retail agency, uh, but we, we do envision, and I've, I've seen this in some of the groups as well. Sometimes people have, maybe, maybe they write the home and auto of uh, a guy that owns a software company and they, they have some difficulty writing it. We do want to be available to other retail agents where if you have, software companies, tech companies that you're having trouble writing, uh, you can work with us and, you know, we can, we can figure out how to, how to profitably uh, manage that relationship with the insured and then between agencies. Uh, so that's one thing that we've, we've thought about and uh, almost, almost similar to like Chris Green and kind of the niche that he's built. Uh, we envision yeah. doing something probably similar for, for tech and, and cyber and, and specialty lines. And I'm not your coach at all. You have Carruthers and other people for that. I think one of the main things that has been super uh, attractive about Chris is that he is only flood. He doesn't write anything else. He doesn't have appointments to write anything else. He is exclusively flood. Uh, so when when we considered whether to do business with Chris or not, and in a full transparency, we outsource a hundred percent of our flood. Riskwell does not write flood insurance anywhere. We could, 
we just flat out choose not to because Chris and his team are legit specialists. Now, I'd be curious to see what you guys find out in the marketplace of, you know, if you are trying to be uh, like a flood insurance guru type of operation, but still write all of those supporting lines as well. Um, really curious to, to hear how that works out when your conversations in the marketplace, uh, because a lot of agents d- don't operate like you and I do. I know you're on the same boat because you and I've had this conversation, you know, the abundance mindset, that blue ocean mentality where there's more than enough for all of us to be successful. I'm curious to see how that works for you. If you guys are still riding those supporting lines and the, the big four, so to speak, you know, with you know, the BOP, the property, the, the umbrella, the work comp, the auto, you know, those big four lines. If you're yeah. still doing that, be curious uh, to know how that ends up playing for your ability to build this army of, you know, inside the box generalist agencies that would prefer to just send it to cover your SAS, collect some kind of a revenue split and call it a day. Yeah, we haven't encountered it yet, so I'll, I'll keep you updated if it ever happens. I don't know if people would be interested in it, but we're open to entertaining that conversation. This it's it's hard for me to not get into thinking of the ways that things break down. So I'm probably a jerk for even bringing it up, honestly. But the no, no. the first thing that well, my first, when we started going and and talking to Chris, I think if he had still been writing all the other lines like a, a normal agency we would probably be less likely to want to send him business because even if somebody is quote unquote playing by the rules, what happens if you don't round out your account like you're supposed to? And one of your partners is well within their rights to write other business because they can. And I mean, it's the difference between poaching and obviously we all know poaching is the fastest way to kill a good partnership. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happens if you just, you know, didn't round the account the right way and he left a line of business out there and you find out that, well, wait a second, Chris wrote a work comp policy for one of these businesses that we sent a flood thing to, you know, at the end of the day, that's a great way to, to get a bad reputation. So honestly, I'm not really sure where I was going with that. Um, we, we chased a rabbit there. So yeah, let me, let me go back to you, man. So you, you learn the hard lessons of differentiating, of getting from zero to one, as we said, from that point, you know, you're, you're wrapping your head around how in the world does this happen? Uh, How do we get the pieces in place, you know, to you, to what you said, you know, the, the acumen, how do we even get prepared so that we can go to market? Uh, Once, once you realized, okay, we need X, Y, and Z, this is how we're going to do it. What does that look like for you to leverage your resources and the people that are around you? How do you get started with sales and marketing? Uh, what does your go-to-market strategy look like for Cover Your SaaS? Yeah, so that's one area that I was confident about. And that goes back to my experience being in B2B sales, doing a lot of outbound, working at Better Agency, doing a lot of discovery calls and demos. And then also being very familiar with, with the tech side of things, building that tech stack out. So those pieces were were pretty much in place. And then with David Carruthers, we built out that, that really the call to action being the risk report. So what it is right now, and we're looking to, to add different ways that we're generating business. We're 
looking into partnerships. Uh, we're looking into like the podcast, but primarily the, the, the thing that has uh, kept the, kept the lights on for, for now has been reaching out to people outbound and just offering that risk report. And it takes like 10 seconds to get a risk report. So they reach, I reach out to them. They said that they want a risk report. I give it to them. I'll make a loom video. And the whole messaging of, of when I'm reaching out is saying, Hey, I'd like to offer you a free cyber risk report. Cyber insurance carriers are using this as a part of their underwriting process. If there's anything critical that could be addressed, it's going to show up in the report. It would probably affect your premium. So if we can address that, we can take it to market and see if there's any any ways for us to leverage this to uh, lower your rate or uh, get you placed with a better program. Just using the risk report as uh, kind of a lead magnet per se. So it's opening that the door to that conversation with something that's not really related to insurance. It is in a way, but not really. I'm not talking about coverages or anything. And then mm-hmm. a lot of people are very interested in getting that free report because a lot of people will pay for it. And yep. you know, if, if the conversation continues, great. If it doesn't, I'm trying to teach myself not to be you so gave attached them something to the for nothing and delivered value and made a deposit towards a future relationship. Yep. So even if they don't end up entering your pipeline, they're still going to remember that you gave them something of value uh, with not expecting or demanding anything in return. Absolutely. That's great, Yeah, that's a big thing that we've realized. And we're starting to see it more and more is people earlier this year that we reached out and were able to give them a risk report when they come up for renewal is when they're starting to reach back out. So... I think that there's probably a, a knowledge gap on how like broker record letters work and, and that whole process. Oh yeah. But I'm I'm fine to just sit back and, and wait for them to reach back out. So even if they don't move forward with us initially, it's not a complete loss. Totally agree. So you guys are running a retail agency. You're you're leveraging some sort of third party vendor to run that report, right? Correct. Cool. Now, when, when you go to market, when you're having these conversations, how do you pivot from here's this free thing that I did for you to hire me to represent you in the risk and insurance game? What, what does that process look like? What, what's your experience been um, with your, your, your play from here's the nice, cool toy that I'm giving you for free to play with. Oh, by the way, I want you to hire me. Like yeah. there has to be some pretty uh, pretty smooth finesse going on there, right? Yeah, I just I really just assume it. So I'll give I'll give them a report, I'll create a loom and I'll kind of walk them through it, give them some context. And then what I'll do is hopefully I'll have a call set up. If not, I'll give them a call or uh, send them an email and just say, if you fa- I hope you found that report valuable. Uh, if you want to move forward in the next step and take this information that we have and take it to market. I'll lay out kind of our process of how we work together. You know, what we'll do is you'll send us your current insurance program. Our team's going to look at that, send us over any agreements, contracts that you have. We'll take a look at those too. And then from there, the process of making us your official broker is a simple signature. So if that's something that you'd be interested in, we can send that over as well. And it's just really kind of laying out the process for them. 
so that they understand what's going on. I had a I had an earlier experience where I didn't explain the broker of record letter very well, and the prospect was so confused about what was going on. So I try to be very transparent of this is how you work with us. And then if you send that to them, most of the time they're going to say yes. And then other people might think that they have to wait till renewal, but I'm not Hmm. too concerned about that. So it's almost like you are the, the demo person at Costco where you've got that sample of that delicious potato chip and somebody's like, hmm, I like the taste of this potato chip. And you're like, well, great, I've got a 74-pound bag I'd like to sell you of this potato chip. Now you're, so you're, you're demoing almost you know, that, that test drive of sorts of what it's like to work with you as your client. Now, it's, I love that approach because too often the generalist way of doing business is to start the conversation by asking for something. Hey, can I have five minutes? Hey, can I see your current program? I want to review it and poke holes in it so I can sell you something. Yeah. I mean, the talking points in a typical, you know, sales conversation with your your middle of the bell curve agent is completely the other side of the coin. You start by asking instead of giving. You start by requesting instead of offering. The way that you guys are doing it, of course it's going to be successful because you're starting from a position of giving real value instead of starting from a position of, hey, can I have some information so I can sell you something? It's like, huh, no wonder they didn't want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, Imagine it completely- that. Yeah, and it changes the it changes the conversation when you lead with something of value, and I can almost guarantee you that there the incumbent is not doing that. The incumbent is probably on average a typical agent that is not investing a lot of time in providing their clients with a lot of resources uh, to. to uh, I don't, I don't want to say that I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but at least in the space that I've been, it's been a lot of people that, you know, they, they probably should just retire and go play golf. Uh, but they still have their, they still have their book of business because it's such a profitable industry. I don't blame them, yep. but they're not really it's doing a lot to keep up. Yeah, exactly. So well, when you I have mean, that, yeah, we refer to it as a lifestyle agency where someone hasn't retired yet, but they're basically, you know, using their agency as an annuity and it's slowly dying (laughs) and they don't care because their personal living is more than sufficient to sustain their desired lifestyle. Yep. So it's, it's not surprising at all that you are coming in and delivering massive value and taking accounts away from people that have been asleep at the wheel for years, or they are working with a national broker and they have their, you know, third account executive in the last five years because it's a carousel at mm-hmm. most of the national brokers, you know, you, you, let's say you're with, you know, Brown and Brown, Gallagher, what, pick one. It doesn't matter which one, you know, your point of contact at that very large broker is almost certainly not the same person, you know, year after year after year, there's always turnover at the really big shops. Now, do the really big shops have a lot of advantages? Absolutely. They have resources that you and I can't compete with. Uh, They have in-house 
lots of stuff that you and I can't compete with. That the vast majority of the listeners of this podcast, in a fair fight, we can't compete with the big boys. They they have a lot of systemic advantages. But we can compete here. We can compete at the human level, at the delivering value up front without asking for it. Because, I mean, at most of these other shops, the, the really big shops, if you're not 10000 in revenue or more, if you're not, you know, 15, 20, 25, you're not going to get anyone's attention. Now, there, there is a sweet spot. And I think from what you have shared previously, Abe, you and I have similar sweet spot where it's, you know, too big for the small local agent, the captive agent, too big for the run-of-the-mill generalist to have a realistic shot at working with an account, but small enough that you're not fighting off the the beehive of national producers because it's big enough to be on their radar. You're looking at that space in the middle. Too big for the small guys and too small for the big guys. And that's where you like to hang your hat. Yeah, I, I don't like is that, competition. Is that still the case? Yeah, it is. It, I don't like competition. Uh, I I love what you say about having that unfair advantage and, and, and really not not in a bad way, but in a good way, having an unfair advantage. And so that's what oh, I it's a bad way. Well. It's a bad way for the competition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's great for the insured. It's great for our office, but the competition is toast. They don't have a shot. Yeah. If they don't have, you know, years in the game, if they're not niched down, in the same way that we are with heavy contractors and real estate investors, you are with SaaS companies. I mean, your average, tell the truth, Freedom Jumper, you listening out there, how many tech companies do you have in your portfolio? How many of those are in your book? What, 5%, 3%, 2% of your book? 1%? Can you count on one hand the number of tech companies or software companies or developers or uh, telecom manufacturers or really any of these tech-focused, uh, you know, software development-focused companies? How many of those accounts do you have in your book right now? Probably not too many. So that is... A, a great example of just the brilliance uh, that Abe and Derek and their partners have displayed. I love that you you picked something hard. You picked a, a difficult vertical. Uh, you said, I don't like competition. Well, I can tell. And I, I think you're really smart in the way you're packaging this. Yeah, when we had So just to be clear, with- you're not asking, and I didn't mean to walk on you there, sorry. You're you're not going to market looking for other retail agents. This is simply telling the story of a scratch digital uh, focused retail agency. You guys don't have a storefront. You don't have the traditional retail presence. You're not locally focused at all. Are are you a 48 state operation? Or are you heading that way? Um, we <laughs> we're like a 26 state operation. I I got as many licenses as I could afford. Uh, and then had to had to take it take it slow. I, I got the I got the the majority of the states that you'll see the majority of the tech companies in. But okay. we'll get we'll get to forty eight. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure how many you know tech and software companies are in Alaska. I imagine <laughs> Hawaii has quite a few of you know a lot of those work from home style of companies. Because last time I checked, you could run a software company from your home office sitting at your house in Hawaii. Yep. But what what is it like 
for your, your typical client, are you going after the brick and mortar, you know, venture capital backed, smaller startup? You know, I don't have any idea what better agencies revenue uh, is uh, at this point, but I would imagine the profile of a better agency as, as a, a prototype a client for Cover Your SaaS, like something like Better Agency, you know, they have somewhere around 20, 25, 30 employees. I don't know what the exact number is, but, you know, they're a great example of the sort of company that probably doesn't have a significant spend on their risk management, uh, their insurance program. They fit the mold pretty close to what you guys are looking for is ideal, right? Is that the kind of company, you know, a Better Agency-esque company that's not a bootstrapped, you know, from zero startup. They have some tenure, they have some success in the marketplace. So they're not a tiny company by any means, but they're also not, you know, Oracle <laughs> or yeah. Google or some massive conglomerate yet. Is that the sort of stuff you're going after? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a very, very complicated space because you have venture capital, private equity, those players are pulling levers. You have so many acquisitions, so many mergers, people going out of business. It's a very complicated vertical, but what we found is we probably prefer to work with bootstrap companies so that we, we don't have to deal with venture capital because a lot of the times the VC firms will set expectations for what limits they should have for different lines of business as a part of their agreement. And you never know if that's what we would recommend. So you're always playing like, all right, well, the, the VC firm says you have to have a minimum of a million, but we recommend that you have two. Now you're playing like this game between, well, the agreement says I need this. Just give me that. So yeah, when you have a bootstrap company that doesn't have that external pressure. It's a lot easier to work with, but there is something kind of fun about the the hyper growth uh, software company, like a better agency that you think in like five to 10 years, if we're able to keep them as a client, they could be, you know, an enterprise or middle market level account. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, this is something Carruthers and I have talked about the, the real challenge. Once you step into that particular, you know, space, is you're losing a lot of accounts year to year, not because you lost an account and they moved their insurance somewhere else, but because they got bought and their insurance got rolled up into their you know, the company that bought them and they no longer have insurance because they got rolled up. So there, there's, like you said, man, there's a lot of nuance in your space. It's a lot more volatile. It's a lot more dangerous than many other niche specializations could be yeah that's one thing we see it as an opportunity so for us because we're so niche down we feel like we're best positioned to be able to build the relationships with the people that are pulling the levers by the scenes so that we can actually profit from the level of volatility because if we're if we're buddy buddy with the vc and we're ensuring their portfolio, any acquisition they make is a win for us. So yep. it's going to hurt in the short term, but in the long term, we see it as an opportunity. And with a name like Cover Your SaaS, you have automatically restricted your market. 
So yeah. somebody who's not a SAS is is just right out of the gate thinking, oh, well, they're not for me. Exactly. Which allows you, if you're doing it right, to penetrate one particular excuse me, one particular vertical uh, in, in a very deep and thorough way rather than scattershot or, you know, even if you're niched down, like a lot of folks, like, I mean, RiskWell is quote-unquote niched down, but we really have, you know, four or five things that we put a lot of energy into. We're not a one-trick pony at all, but, you know, that means that we're not necessarily taking full advantage of the niches uh, that we're in. So having one or two things that you go all in on i mean risk reward right so if yeah. if it if it wins it's going to win really big uh but then the downside of that is if it doesn't win you don't really have a fallback plan <laughs> yeah we're gonna have to get a dba or something if it doesn't work out i won't tell if you won't no i i have a hard time believing that this won't be successful uh, knowing you guys like i do and knowing the three people that have put their name on this thing uh, as advisors I so agree. we're uh, We've run longer than I thought either one of us expected this to uh, as a casual conversation among friends. Uh, as yeah. we land the plane here, Abe, anything you want to talk about? Anything we've missed that you want to bring up? I think particularly for your audience, if I could provide any bit of advice, uh, specifically for somebody maybe coming from a captive background, it's just make that jump to independence. Like I'm a 20, 20, I was 23 when I started this, I didn't have a lot of money and I'm not saying that I've made it in any, any stretch of the imagination, but I like, if I could do it, anybody could do it. And I think that, uh, I already see the potential for the independent agency as a business model and a revenue model. It's probably the most attractive, uh, model out there. Uh, I, I, I've, thought about every single kind that I'm familiar with real estate investing, uh, building a, a SaaS startup. There's nothing that in my opinion beats, uh, the IA, uh, revenue model. Um, so it, that would just be my parting words is just, if you're thinking about it, just do it. And, uh, cause if I could, then I think anybody could, cause I, I have, uh, um, you know, my, my, my family, my wife would say that I have some screws loose and, um, I ain't playing with a full deck. So if I could do it, anybody can. Well, I'm living proof of that, my man. Uh, <laughs> I, I am right there with you. And uh, things have happened beyond my expectations. And I think I think you and I both are optimistic, aspirational people uh, who expect things to, to go in a positive direction. Uh, and that is, looks like it's going to be the case for Cover Your Sass uh, so I, I am a fan. You might technically be competition, sir, but I will never see it that way. Uh, I resist such ideas. Uh, if I weren't already so far down the rabbit hole myself, I'd probably be sending you business too. <laughs> that said, I do love a good cyber conversation because as you said, there is not many people in that space. Most of our peers, I don't know if scared is the right word because I don't think there's actual fear. Uh, but they, they avoid it because they don't really understand it. They're afraid of looking dumb in front of a prospect because the prospect knows the space much more than your typical insurance agent does. So, man, I wish you and Derek and your team nothing but the very best. Uh, you can consider me a fan uh, of Cover Your Sass and everything you guys do. So, 
anything we can do to help, anything I can personally do, uh, you know I'm going to be there uh, in your corner and, and rooting for the best possible outcome for you guys. Uh, so hopefully uh, this has been useful and enjoyable for your purposes. Um, I, I'm just grateful to get to tell the world about Cover Your Sass and, and be the one to premiere you guys. Yeah, I appreciate it, James. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. And that is, uh, that's it. Are you, you good if we wrap there? You look like you're about to say something. No, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Awesome. Well, he is Abe Gibson, the co-founder of Cover Your SaaS, and this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Let's go.